Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to The Insurgents, Episode 8. This is Rob Rousseau. I'm here with my partner, Jordan Yule. Hey. See, I'm not even giving you time to, <laughs> yeah, to do the thing. I had me. something in, in, my, in the bag, too. So yeah, so that's ne- right. Ne- Shut it down. Next episode. Yeah, no, but in, in all honesty, uh, Jordan, and to the listeners of the show, I know often we... We do start these episodes with, you know, bits or like kind of little comedy gags sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know everyone kind of appreciates that, but it just, given the events of Super Tuesday, uh, it just didn't really feel appropriate to, to start off the show kind of joking around like this because of kind of how, how uh, serious this is, uh, what we're trying to talk about right now. Yeah. There's a time and place for everything. Yeah. Um, Because it was just. It was really devastating uh, to see Super Tuesday uh, unfold the way it did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like, you know, I, I'm really trying to remain level headed. I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to be optimistic. But it's just it was extremely discouraging. And it was just it was the whole the whole day was just a really bitter pill to swallow for me. Yeah, no, similar. I, I, I felt the same way. Just I went in with such high hopes and came out just feeling like it all slipped away yeah i mean it's really tough it's just one of those moments where when you really you put your heart in behind something and you really believe in in something you really believe in a political movement and you want to believe that it's going to come to fruition and you see it crash and burn like that Mm -hmm. kind of so spectacularly yeah it just makes me want to quit honestly like i don't i know i shouldn't say this no don't give up don't give up no well, I know, but it just it just makes me want to give up because it's you start to just ask yourself like what's the point? What's the point in continuing to fight for this stuff and continuing to talk about it? Yeah. Uh when you're going to when it's going to just fail so miserably in front of everyone and and the way it did on Tuesday and it's I I get it. I get I know I need to be optimistic and I need to continue going and doing this stuff, but it's tough right now. It's I find it really tough. Yeah, I mean, I I I know I went into this under, with the understanding that he was a bit of an outsider, you know, and he was running a, a different type of campaign. And I th- think, you know, a lot of people were questioning whether or not he could pull it off. But I still was out there. I was, yeah. I was, you know, I wanted to get out there and get out the vote for this guy. But, uh, yeah, it's just you don't you can't give up because the fight continues. Yeah. And and yeah, definitely. Shout out to Mike Bloomberg. Um <laughs> Spent spent nearly half a billion dollars on this campaign just to win American Samoa, um, and it's just it was really upsetting to see that see it play out like that. But I mean, we're still and, with uh, you. We're still with you, Mike. Yeah, of course. Yeah, obviously. Um, but it was it was frustrating to see it happen. It was disappointing. Uh huh. And um, you know, we're still with Mike. He's a, he's a really little man, but he's got a huge heart. So, <laughs> I think we do owe our listeners a bit of a mea culpa here. Um, in all seriousness, we're being serious now. We're seriously talking about this now. I think we do right. owe our listeners a little bit of a mea culpa. And I think we, it's important to talk about right now what we did get wrong over the last couple of weeks and what we got right. Um, because, obviously, we, we on the last episode, we kind of joked around about uh, Biden's win in South Carolina. We were kind of downplaying it. 
um, and still kind of under the impression that we were headed towards a Super Tuesday where Bernie Sanders was going to really like land a, a big punch and and end the day with a significant delegate lead and kind of be on the on the path to the nomination. And um, obviously, a lot of things shifted really rapidly just in the time since we recorded that with Buttigieg and Klobuchar dropping out and endorsing Biden. And you just saw in it very, very quickly, the establishment kind of coalesce around Biden. And that did result in a Super Tuesday that that played out really not like what we were expecting. Um, and now we're in a situation where where Biden basically, after all this time, is somehow back to being the front runner in this race uh, with all the establishment support and a ton of kind of momentum, whether that's fake or, or real momentum. Um, but that's the situation we're in. And it's clearly that's not something we really predicted um, last week or since we've been doing this show. Um, but I do think it's important to address that we did get that wrong. Yeah. I mean, to an extent, I mean, it's sure he, he won more states, but because it's proportional, there's not a huge like differential in, in delegates. So I'm trying to keep that in mind because it's it's certainly not over. Uh, no. You need nine, uh, 1,991 delegates, and Biden has 643, and Bernie has 566. Like There's a long way to go. Um, and I don't believe California has completely finished allocating all the delegates, and that was a, that was a significant Sanders win yeah, as well. well exactly. Yeah, exactly. California... We're recording this right now on Friday. Today is a deadline for people who mailed in ballots for it to get there. So, like, there's still ballots coming in today that will uh, will impact this race. And, and Sanders outperformed the field in states like California who have vote-by-mail processes. So this is a good state for Sanders to narrow that gap going into states uh, like Michigan where he could do really well. Yeah, and... and- I also do want to focus on what we got right about all this, which is what we've been saying, which is that after Tuesday, it was going to be a two-person race, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, What it looked like was going to happen was that the establishment was going to coalesce around Mike Bloomberg. um, And it really looked like after his really terrible showing in Iowa and New Hampshire that Biden was done. It felt like he was done. Uh, It felt like his kind of whole lead for the last year in the polls was kind of artificial. And that once people had actually got to see him campaigning, it really didn't look like he had anything uh, going for him. And so what what it looked like was going to happen was that the establishment was going to coalesce around Bloomberg and we were going to come out, out of super, out, we were going to come out of Super Tuesday uh, with basically a two person race between Bernie and Mike Bloomberg. And instead, they would basically switched. Uh, so n- now, um, because of everything that's happened in the last week, um, Bloomberg did get wiped out on Super Tuesday. He's gone now. Uh Prayers up for Mike Bloomberg. It's 100 days of, of running for president. That's that's finished now. Uh, but now he's throwing his significant uh, financial support behind Biden. So now it's the same. It is essentially the same result from what we were saying, which is that it's now a two-person race between Bernie and Joe Biden. And uh, as you said, it's, it's not like Bernie came out of Super Tuesday with a huge lead like some people were hoping. But it is still essentially a dead heat now uh, with plenty of time to go. So... Um, it's definitely not time for people to be despondent and and uh, defeatist about this um, moving forward. Right, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of different narratives coming out of uh, Super Tuesday, which I don't necessarily think are always accurate or objective. And I think that a lot of people are, especially in like the political pundit class and Democratic establishment, are putting uh, an an 
added emphasis on red states that went for Biden, um, and specifically the black voting population in those states. And it's like, those are states where traditionally those voting blocks are more conservative than reliably democratic states. So I, 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 I think it's just a master class in kind of manufacturing consent. And they want to erase uh, the diverse support for Sanders in California, just similar to how they did in Nevada. Uh, but suddenly South Carolina, a state the Democrats will never win, uh, at least not in the near future. Uh, they want to overemphasize the uh, voting preferences of South Carolina Democratic voters. So I, I think we need to be mindful of what and how the media is spinning Joe Biden's performance, especially, I mean, in states like like Arkansas, you're not going to win Arkansas in the general election. So like no. to, to continue to point to that in the voting preferences there is completely disingenuous. So I think, again, if when we go into Michigan and we see how the candidates fare there, especially the, the diverse voting communities in Michigan, uh, let's see as when I, I would assume Sanders wins those communities because he's just he's loved there and. Uh, Joe Biden's history and including his trade policy history uh, that impacted areas like Detroit and Flint. We'll see how those areas go. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I would imagine if it's a Sanders uh, victory there, that support is going to be less important to them than it would than like the voting blocks in uh, South Carolina. Yeah. And obviously another thing that people have been saying for a long time, kind of like mainstream liberals in the media and in politics have been talking about how Latinos are basically like the future of the Democratic Party. These these uh, <laughs> organ, these like Latinx communities um, and immigrant communities who, who really strongly support Sanders, and all of a sudden now that's not really being talked about. Never talked about. But, okay, so you yeah exactly. So you mentioned I'm actually glad you mentioned manufacturing consent. This is because this is something I wanted to talk about because sometimes when this comes up, I see people talking about like what manufacturing consent. What is this? You're just a crazy conspiracy theorist talking about this. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to mention this because I think some people frame it as if what that means is that the media is going out every single day and just saying directly, vote for Biden, vote for Biden, vote for Biden. And that's not what's been happening. But I want to talk about how manufacturing consent has worked in this context mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to Biden. Number one is that his very, very real flaws whether that's about his decades long history of being on the wrong side of like every single major political issue or his like very obvious cognitive decline, which we can all see and which is going to be a huge problem in a, a, a general election. Uh, this is just never discussed. It's never brought up in the media. It's never really mentioned. Um, and the other thing that's constantly talked about is the idea of electability and uh, the idea of, oh, Bernie Sanders isn't electable because he's a threat to all these down ballot races. And this is always this is discussed over and over on these Sunday talk shows and on these cable news shows. And many, many people have internalized the logic that Bernie cannot win a general election against Trump and only Biden can. And I think if you actually examine these things, you'll notice that it's actually the opposite is true. Well, I think w what uh, you're you're missing is uh, Bernie Sanders said something really weird on public access, access TV in 1982, and that uh, should take precedence. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 bizarre. It's they, it's it's clear what they're doing. I mean, they they will never mention. And this is the same type of media who has spent the past few years um, having psychologists doing like armchair diagnosis. Uh, on on Trump's mental stability and mental uh, aptitude, and suddenly now they just don't care when it's Biden. Um, 
and you know the 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 this guy comes with a ton of baggage a, a terrible voting record but they want to continue to push like red baiting stuff for sanders or the cuba thing is like i think the biggest example of how like fucked up this whole process is because like it was like a direct parallel of things the obama administration including joe and jill biden said about cuba and joe and jill went to fucking cuba as part of normalizing relations with that with, with that country and they were 100 percent correct to do so this yes. is like one of the the yes. bright points of the obama administration <laughs> absolutely foreign policy. and now they're using the exact same thing against sanders that's how disingenuous this entire thing is and there's no mention uh in these reports in these cable news reports or, or broadcast news reports about the obama administration and joe biden and jill biden doing the exact same thing doing and saying the exact same thing yes okay so i mean this is I don't want to get into this too much. Uh, we have a really great show actually coming up. We're doing a a crossover episode with with sister podcast, the Antifada. Uh, so we're going to get into all this stuff with with them, with those folks. Uh, it's going to be really, really great. I'm actually really excited to talk to them. So uh, I wanted to briefly touch on this uh, with you, Jordan, but I don't want to get too deep into it. We're going to talk about what happened on Super. Super we're going to talk about what happened on Super Tuesday. We're going to talk about Biden's flaws as a candidate. We're going to talk about Elizabeth Warren, how she dropped out, and and what's been going on with that uh, whole uh, subject over the last 24 <laughs> hours or so. We're going to get into all that, so we, we don't really need to do it uh, now. Um, well, so before we get to them, is there anything else we wanted to to mention? How was you your, think? How was your vacation, Rob? It was lovely. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Yeah. Mostly, anyways. Uh, I was actually, honestly, I was a little nervous when I realized that I was going to be um, away on Super Tuesday because I was like, oh, no, I'm going to need to, I need to pay attention to this. But in hindsight, I'm actually happy that I was busy, like, doing family stuff that day and, like, barely even looking at my phone until the night because I can, t I know for sure that I would have just driven myself completely insane uh, looking at terrible punditry and cable news all day and, and paying attention to it before any actual results had come in. So I was actually a little bit relieved that I was like focused on like having a good time uh, with my, with my uh, partner and my kids uh, during that time. And overall it was, it was a nice vacation. It was, it was good except my son uh, on our way back. It was like a six hour drive to come back from this, this kind of like ranch thing that we were staying at uh, in New York state. Uh, and he, uh, he puked about five minutes into the, the no, oh no. <laughs> The joy of kids. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. He was fine after though. He was a she's a trooper. Yeah. But that was that was that was the low light, I think, of the vacation. That's hilarious. I mean it sucks, but it's kinda hilarious. Yeah, he had a great time. He had a great time. Uh except for that. Cool. Um okay, so before we get to the Antifada, I did just want to get to an email. So we got an email now. We, so we got um, a couple, but this one really s stood out. Yeah, what? yeah. Uh, we mentioned on the last episode uh, that we would like to hear from listeners of the show, um, which you can write to us at uh, theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Uh, so I wanted to read, I'm not going to read this whole email from uh, Hannah we got here, but uh, I wanted to get um, um, a little bit into this email, so I'm just going to read a little bit of this right now. Uh, so Hannah says, so Hannah says, uh, since I am an entitled millennial, I was wondering if the pod might be willing to cook up an episode distilling the major reasons Bernie will slash can beat Biden. I'm a health policy analyst, and I tend to evangelize M4A pretty easily. But the other day, my sister said to me, OK, but what else uh, about why she should pick Bernie? And my little soup brain froze. Hannah, you don't have a soup brain. Your brain is, is 
is great. Don't worry about it. Um, it froze, even though I know exactly why she should. Since then, I've been trying to do my own research uh, to get my talking points down pat, but I also work a full-time job, and I'm being crushed by the Clark's wallaby of capitalism. I can only give so much of myself. So uh, I think people would love and really benefit from something just hitting the major points uh, about the Biden writing the crime bill. Biden did NAFTA. Um, voters who went for Trump were left behind by politicians like Biden. Uh, Biden is a little water-headed boy. <laughs> Um, and also she goes on to say that, um, uh, I appreciate your support for known liars like Ken Klippenstein and (laughs) and baby sized head activists like Hassan Piker. Um, so it was really great to hear from, from, uh, Hannah. Thank you so much for writing in. And I think we, we, we've touched on it a little bit so far in this introduction. We're going to certainly get into this, uh, more during our, our talk with the Antifada, but, I think Hannah and everyone else should rest assured that we are going to um, be heavily focusing over the next couple of weeks over exactly why Joe Biden is a uniquely terrible candidate who will not beat Trump um, and that all the arguments about electability and all the stuff that we were mentioning before is just complete uh, bullshit. Yeah, I had messaged you last night in the middle of the night about that. Before this email even yeah. came in, I was laying awake uh, from insomnia, thinking, yeah. "What should we do next week?" And uh, yeah, Biden, Biden was the the focus. Yeah, well, and this is it. I mean, we've talked about it a little, and the Sanders campaign certainly before Iowa was hitting Biden very, very hard on his record on trying to cut entitlements like Social Security and Medicaid. His long history of bragging about trying to do this and how this is going to be a fucking anchor around his neck in an actual general election campaign. Uh, but I think the mistake that the Sanders campaign and like commentators like you and I made here was thinking that after New Hampshire, okay, Biden's done. We don't really need to focus on this anymore because clearly he's not, his candidacy is not viable. He's not appealing to anyone. Uh, it's not taking off. We really need to focus on Bloomberg, um, which we did rather successfully, man. We, our, our social media campaign that we talked about with, uh, with Amy Brown did work out quite well. We did manage to, uh, help take down Bloomberg uh, alongside also uh, Benjamin Dixon, other former guest of the show. Um, but yeah, the mistake that we made, I think, and I personally made was thinking that Biden was finished after New Hampshire. Clearly that wasn't the case. Uh, so we definitely will be returning to um, focusing very heavily on, on all his really, really terrible flaws as a candidate. Yeah, absolutely. So stay tuned for that. We've got some interesting things in store. Yes. <laughs> um, so before we get to the Antifada, please remember to uh, subscribe over on uh, theinsurgents.substack.com. And we've talked about iTunes reviews, uh, our sorry, Apple podcast reviews. Please continue to leave those. We always really appreciate the reviews that we get, except the ones that are pro Ken Klippenstein. <clears throat> Don't. Obviously, we'd like those to uh, taper off, ideally. We also, do you want to talk about that other review we yeah, got uh, actually, that came in last night? That'd be great. Uh, so we got a we got a review. It's a one star review on iTunes. Uh, the 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 title is "Hypocrites Hosting Neoliberal Propaganda," and they were especially upset with our episode with Alex Koch, most notably the uh, uh, the intro that you and I did, where we sarcastically said we were excited about Joe Biden, uh, and they write. The Dark Money Super PAC episode was disgusting. 
You're literally faulting Sanders for campaigning in a state that's holding a presidential primary, not a Senate race. Fair game. Comparing hoarding delegates to, in a primary race to the 1% amassing billions is gross. Shame on you. More social leaders championing the poor and working people's campaign and unions have endorsed Sanders than your boy could ever dream. This was not the progressive left podcast I was looking for. So uh, to that, we say, we're sorry. We'll do better. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Tough but fair. Yeah. uh, Sorry to let you down. But like we said in that episode and reiterated in this one, we're now Biden bros. So yeah. uh, Sorry. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. We're going to we're just living our truth over here. And honestly, (laughs) it's funny because I enjoy doing these kind of bits. The audience of the show seems to enjoy them as well. But we're actually getting we're actually getting bad reviews because people (laughs) listen to our bits and think that they're real. (laughs) And I guess that's maybe something that we need to work on. We need to (laughs) somehow. Right. We were doing so well, like that we were getting a ton of uh, reviews celebrating the lifetime ban on Ken Klippenstein. That's fantastic. Keep keep that up. But these, yeah. not so much. Yeah, I, ideally not. Um, okay, so I think we covered everything that I wanted to get to. We've actually gone pretty long with this introduction here. Mm-hmm. So let's let's get to our talk with uh, the Antifada. Um, I'm really looking forward to speaking with them. We're going to get into everything that's happened with uh, with Super Tuesday and and everything else in the in the uh, the couple of days following. And uh, we're going to be back with the Antifada right after this. Are you saying so? There's like a rumor that King Solomon is dead. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Thoughts well, he pray- was prayers pretty up. old. Like, he was in his late thirties, so <laughs> that's... yeah. Well, the lifespan over there is not too old for a yeah. Saudi aristocrat. Well, thoughts and prayers are with uh, with the yeah, Solomon gonna... family because that's terrible. Launch a GoFundMe so they can pay for the bills. <laughs> <laughs> Insane. I hate man. to see that. Absolutely. Uh, I'm back. Uh, what did I miss? Our, our King the, Solomon. The Saudi funding away. for this podcast is oh, just about no. to dry up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a shame. <laughs> yeah. We might be doing all of our podcasts remotely soon. Yeah, exactly. We're in a state of emergency <laughs> here in New York. Well, oh, we just got one why? here in Ireland. Why? Yeah. Oh, good thing I'm getting out of New York then. Shit. Yeah, good thing you're going on a fucking cruise, <laughs> which is like the biggest flex imaginable right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to hop on board this like giant bacteria factory and just kind of luxuriate <laughs> in there a little bit. I'm heightening the contradictions of my own health. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, talk about it. It is honestly really incredible as you see this, like, just be kind of start. And you see it just on the verge of maybe spiraling out of control. And all these, like, libertarian conservative types are all magically forget about the, the things that they believe in. And all of a sudden, they're like, hey, maybe we need to uh, have maybe a better system in place that's going to help us avert some of this problem. Turns out that it's the invisible hand is not really doing too well here in stopping this. Are they? <laughs> well, that would be mighty smart of them. I don't know. I don't know if I want to credit them with that. Well, no, but I mean, I am seeing things like, you know, we need to, you know, make maybe make this vaccine. Uh, maybe people can just get it instead of having to pay for it. Or like maybe people should be able to take time off work 
uh, and not go and infect their whole workplace. Maybe maybe that would actually That's be mean. better for society if we allowed people to do that. Hmm, crazy. You can't hmm. you can't you can't just do that, Rob. Yeah, well. Yeah. As as Margaret Thatcher, the siren of neoliberalism once said, there's no such thing as society, only families and people whose lungs are filling up with fluid as they die of pulmonary arrest. We're just going to neoliberal our way right into a pandemic. Well, to their credit, uh, the government of New York State is making the vaccine, or they don't have the vaccine yet, but the test free and medical care free to everyone who thinks they have it. Yeah. And it turns out uh, rugged individualist capitalism only works until you run out of other people's white blood cells. So... <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> it's true. So, uh, are we recording now? It's uh, yeah. We're let's, let's do, do we're this. doing this. We're we're on we're on the road now. We have the nice the okay. nice intro segment where we're doing banter, solid yeah. banter too. I'm pretty impressed with that. Um, we're all professionals here. Yeah, we're all we're all casters casters of various different pods over here. But let's let's welcome the Antifada to the show. What a delight to have a, a, a sister podcast come together uh, for this episode. Hello, hello, gang. How's it going? Hey, what's up? Hey, hello. Pretty good. Do you, do you folks just want to like introduce yourselves? I guess for for people that are unfamiliar with your your uh, your pod. Uh, sure. Uh, uh, I'm Jamie Peck. Uh, are we gonna do it like we do it on the show? Yeah. I'm Jamie Peck. <laughs> I'm Sean KB. And I'm AP Andy, the producer. And Perfect. we are a family-friendly communist podcast. For all you nice folks out there. Yeah. Well, we love that. We're we're very nice too, Jordan and I. So we want to just make sure we're 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 not scaring off any of our our potential uh, lib friends that have tuned in um, tuned into this episode. You're, yeah, uh, you're Canada nice. Yeah. It's important to be normal when you're doing socialism. <laughs> exactly. So we're all having a normal one today. Extremely. Yeah. Definitely. Hashtag normal Marxism. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, but but uh, so the antifada, you know, I was I was thinking about who can we invite onto this episode to talk about you know Super Tuesday and all the big events in the the American election electoralism. So obviously the antifada, you're all you're all I know you love sort of electoralism elections. Definitely the Democratic Party, huge <laughs> oh, yeah. fans of all that stuff. Uh, so we're, we're very happy that we can have you you guys break this stuff down for us. Oh, we're happy to be here. Yeah. Pick the right set of jerk offs to talk about this. We're here for you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, but I, okay. So one of the interesting things, though, about this like moment in American history and sort of American political history is um, the fact that there's something very interesting happening, which is that this Bernie movement, which I think in 2016 really did uh, help radicalize like a, a lot of a significant number of people, kind of the younger generation. And now it's kind of, they've spent uh, the past couple of years kind of building that, that machine. Um, and now you have the situation where this movement is going on and it is bringing in a very kind of disparate alliance of people that are more kind of like FDR liberals or welfare state liberals with more social Democrats and even more people on the further on the political spectrum, anarchists and socialists and communists who are, Kind of getting involved in this movement, uh, not because they see Bernie as the be-all and end-all of, of of achieving that, but as kind of a means to an end or kind of a, a, a necessary building block to to developing American society into something that maybe is more egalitarian. Like, do you think that's that that's accurate? Yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate for the most part. Um, I I would the only thing I would add is um, 
there's more than one factor. If you look at, say, the growth of the DSA since 2016, um, the Bernie campaign was definitely a big factor in bringing people in. But also, the actually, the biggest bump we've gotten to date, I believe, still was the election of Donald Trump and his inauguration. That's yes. when we got the most people. Because people were realizing that you can't, can't rely on the Democratic Party to save us from anything. Yeah, well, fortunately, would, this uh, time they're coalescing around someone who is electable. Uh, they've got their guy. They know <laughs> for sure. They obviously know what they're doing. We've maybe, you know, so we have to just let them. We just have to let them do what needs to be done here. I would only push back slightly when you said um, the Bernie Sanders movement is a necessary step uh, forward. I. I don't agree that I don't disagree that, you know, it's not important, but I'm not sure that uh, a mass movement that grows necessarily has to pass through this stage. But that being said, all of the contradictions that came out of the crisis of 2000 and 2008, all of the economic deprivation, all of the alienation of American society has like structurally decided to form itself, you know, through this particular vehicle. And we're just kind of riding the tiger. You know, you can't reject something just because you have some sort of abstract universal, um, you know, principles like, oh, electoralism is never anything. You have to really go where you know, society is moving and it seems pointless to kind of stand back and just do criticism of, uh, of the Sanders campaign from afar without engaging with the masses of people involved. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. It's, it's only one of several ways that this could have unfolded and that it still could unfold, but it is certainly a way. Indeed. Jordan, did you, did you have anything? Uh, no, not yet. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I'm trying to. I guess I, I, I could add hosting. something. Yeah, please do. I, I, uh, I could add a little bit about my Bernie journey, perhaps. Uh, in 2016, when he was running, I was, you know, really a naysayer of his campaign because I thought it, it didn't make any sense for a, a Democrat uh, to be to, to run as a Democrat and call yourself a socialist. And although I liked the populist sentiment of being against the one percent and the millionaires and billionaires, I thought. I was obscuring the class contradiction, which is, I think is essential if you're going to talk about socialism or some type of social, any kind of socialist transformation in the country. Uh, but in, in the years since, really, his rhetoric, at least, and I think maybe his policy points, too, have moved far to the left to the point where during this campaign, he's actually talking about class war. And although I think we have very different ideas of what that class war means and, and how to resolve it, um, like the, him... Talking about it the way that he does and supporting labor struggles the way that he does uh, and, you know, um, ha having a conception of a campaign that is a movement of movements uh, is is doing far more to popularize these ideas and forcing the mainstream to take them seriously than uh, anything I've been a part of, you know, sent, you know, Black Lives Matter and Occupy and the anti-globe movement did a lot for this. But I think the Sanders campaign is even is even uh, bigger terms of mainstream appeal yeah and this this is exactly something that i've talked about with sean before um which i believe sean called the the cycles of struggle yes and, um, yeah. so you pointed to occupy and i think that was a great point because when occupy happened <clears throat> you had a lot of the same kind of critiques of like oh they don't stand for anything they're not accomplishing anything they're just hanging around they're not doing anything but rhetorically 
the idea of the 99% versus the 1% at that point became kind of entrenched in popular culture. And people did grasp that. Like they grasped that basic concept that there is an elite ruling class that's against everyone. And that regardless of our, all our different kind of social stations, ultimately we are all on the same side against this, these like very, very elite forces that are kind of oppressing us. And that was one thing that Occupy really managed to get across to a huge number of people. And then in 2016, that coalesced around Bernie Sanders. Um, and now now we're here in 2020 with the, the Bernie movement the way it is now. And now it's grown to this really kind of uh, remarkable size. And I think even if you are skeptical about electoralism or you're skeptical about whether like entryism within the Democratic Party is even possible or, or whether that's valuable, I think you have to still kind of give credit to the fact that there there is this movement that's uh, over the last decade really grown and become part of popular consciousness. And like that's that's kind of exciting. Just the, that that basic idea. Yeah, don't maybe tell your listeners that I think all three of us want to destroy the Democratic Party. That's kind of a trade secret, but yeah. Well, destroy, make, but you know, make better. You know, it's it's a uh, you know, there's we'll, different. We'll words. see how that shakes out. Yeah, we'll see <laughs> yeah. how that shakes out. Well, this, I mean, this is the basic thing that's that's in question right now is whether that's even possible to even get that foothold. And and to and to um, put someone in charge of the Democratic Party that is kind of hostile to their traditional interests. Uh, this was always the kind of the big test for that of whether that was going to be even possible. And it was interesting because just a few weeks ago, it was looking very, very likely that Bernie Sanders was going to uh, kind of waltz into this nomination. And then we've seen just over the last week, a ton of movement where the establishment of the Democratic Party has very, very quickly moved to kind of consolidate all their power and and stamp out this progressive movement, which resulted in this kind of Super Tuesday uh, result that I think not a lot of people were expecting, including us, like even a, a week or so ago. Like, were you surprised with, with how how much things have changed uh, in the last couple of days? Uh, I was not surprised, personally. I We always knew that this was going to be a really dirty fight and anyone who thought that it was over after the Nevada primary was fooling themselves. Um, the good news is I really think that they have used their last booster pack, right? They're, they were desperate <laughs> yeah. enough that they even got Beto out of his fucking man cave to come, come around and endorse Biden. Like, they bet all their chips on this guy about whom many of people have grave concerns within the Democratic Party party establishment uh but this is the best they've got and now it's up to us to fucking take it to the finish i saw a tweet uh, i think it was from a few days ago by a guy i think his name is matt stoller uh he's yeah. a journalist he's some blue check guy but uh uh, I won't. I won't call him an asshole if uh, he might listen to your show. Uh, no, he's, he's fine. He's got, he, he's got uh, like fifty-fifty good takes to bad takes ratio. I would say. On, uh, all right, good. Uh, so, like a, an Iglesias type, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. We won't. Yeah, I guess that's being generous head, for Iglesias. <laughs> I think, but you know. Yeah, I'm. I'm in a generous mood today. <laughs> yeah, me too. He uh, he had a tweet about how, and I don't know what his source is for. He didn't give his sources for this, but he was talking about how everybody in the Democratic Party establishment knows that Biden has dementia and they laugh about it behind closed doors. <laughs> I believe it. It's fascinating. Uh, actually, wow. Sean, actually, it's rude of you to even point that out. Uh, this kind of <laughs> armchair WebMD stuff. Just because Joe Biden can barely string a sentence together and that, like, you know, his ability to speak coherently has 
obviously declined in the last four years just from the basic things that we can see and and listen to just because all those things are true doesn't mean that there's any kind of cognitive decline this is just some kind of a wacky conspiracy theory that's gonna no he's got a he has a childhood stutter and in order to compensate for the stutter he lies about things his entire life yeah he just makes Ed... stories to make him sound more electable and like it's... a hero instead of a segregationist yeah it's a it makes him super racist by accident yeah, his stutter is also causing him to confuse uh, his wife with his sister. That's another side effect of the stutter. And it's also it caused him for the last 40 years to advocate cutting Social Security. I mean, that's a hell of a stutter, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that just video was amazing, too, because he, he was literally, like, looking directly at his wife five seconds before speaking, <laughs> before confusing them with his, confusing her with his sister. But yeah, again, the man's just brain is gone. I, I, I want to pick up on something that Jamie said about um, that they put all their chips down. I don't think they were happy about doing it with Joe Biden, but like they completely ate shit in 2016, as we know with Hillary. Uh, they're risking a lot by putting this brainworm-addled uh, dementia case up there in front of the American people and hoping he's going to win. And I think that shows not necessarily how strong they are, but how absolutely desperate they are to find some way to stop what bernie represents and and like if you think about it from okay fuck joe biden i have no sympathy for him it's still a little bit cruel that they're doing this oh yeah it's like elder abuse yeah it's just it's it's a final payday for so many of these people like the this is he's the last hurrah the last kind of cadre of establishment dems and this is this is they tried it with hillary now they're trying it with him it's just they're they're making a killing through uh affiliate super PACs and just all these like establishment consultants that are just hopping from blue state digital to his campaign or vice versa it's it's grotesque and it's a mockery and to point back to Stoller's point uh, that they all know like I saw uh, this incredulous response from Neera Tandon like how dare you this is so <laughs> this is so beneath you it's only a okay when we do that to trump like it's it's bullshit yeah. they're using this kind of yeah. these accusations of ableism or or uh, offensive takes as a cudgel because they all know it's true but this is the gravy right well even... they're all talking about him wearing a diaper today yeah. right right <laughs> <laughs> even the night of the election this was amazing i actually saw people saying like yeah well well trump's dementia is even worse and it's like okay great good job good job galaxy brain <laughs> i'm relieved like biden's dementia is definitely worse than Trump's. Yeah. I hate oh, to yeah. say it. Like the decline, if you look at videos from even 2016, it's really stark and it's really disturbing. Like I'm fucking disturbed by it and I don't even like Joe Biden, but I still don't want Trump to win a second term. I also least, don't want to have a president with really bad dementia. Or at least Trump is using his dementia to his advantage in this way where he's like <laughs> using his paranoia and naivete to to create this phantasmagoria for all his chuds to live in. <laughs> Biden's just rambling. And, and like, if someone questions him, he says, well, don't vote for me. Yeah. <laughs> based, yeah. based. I mean, going into this, I imagined that Biden had this kind of like avuncular populist charm that I could see how he appealed to a lot of people, especially working class people who uh, maybe don't know all the details of his horrible policies, but like we keep seeing him be such an asshole to everybody. Like, is <laughs> why, that why, part why, of why, it? Why, is why, that, why, is, why, that why, is that charming? Does that come off charming to people because he's like, you know, tough guy or whatever? I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's the thing like, I do find it sad what's going on with him right now. Like I don't even, 
we're, I don't even really want to joke about it because it because it is sad and like that's it. I I don't even like I don't even think Biden's like a bad person. I think that the policies that he stood for over many decades are abhorrent, obviously. But I see him as more just being like this big oaf that's kind of just kind of did what he had to do over the last few decades to uh, stay relevant in the the rightward shift of the Democratic Party. Uh, and not he's not like a uniquely evil person, but still. Um, the fact that they're cons- they, they, this is the guy that they've decided to call and consolidate around who's clearly mentally not with it. Everyone can see that. Everyone knows this. Um, and who has, who has stood for every single bad decision the Democratic Party has made over the last few decades that led directly to Trump in the first place. Right. And it's just like, right. I can't believe that this is the guy that you're, you're going with here. Right. I- so I, I think that that particular analysis him having made bad policy decisions, been on the wrong side of history in almost every instance, that's not going, unfortunately, that's not going to win over enough voters probably to Bernie's side to win. I think what we've been seeing so far based on polls and based on how people voted in the Southern states is a lot of Democratic voters just want someone who could beat Trump. So if we can pitch the electability argument uh, to those people who actually do have a stake in the outcome, uh, I think we're going to do pretty well. And the more they see of him, I mean, the campaign's trying to limit his exposure with good reason, but the more they see of him, uh, the less confident they're going to be. Yeah, and I think that's that's the main explanation so for what happened. Today for only, Sorry, Jordan, go he ahead. He only spoke for, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Missouri today, he only spoke for seven minutes, <laughs> which is just remarkably, like noticeably short for a massive or what they wanted to be a massive campaign stop. So like it's it's pretty evident what they're doing and there were there were reports early in the campaign that they were trying to limit his uh, exposure to the public. So this is a long-standing problem and now it's you know people are hyper scrutinizing it because it's a person race. And the DNC is helping they canceled the the president's the candidate forum in uh, Kansas City. Uh, that was <laughs> that that could have had a big in, impact on those uh, primaries. Wow. Oof. They're hiding him. They're hiding that man. I mean, I I guess I should add. Um, I feel like people got mad at me earlier for implying that um, there are working class people voting for Biden who are low information voters. Um, and while I think that's certainly true of some people, I think a lot of other people are aware of the issues at stake and in fact support policies much more progressive than Biden does based on exit polls. Um, a much higher proportion of people support Medicare for all, for instance, than um, for, for Bernie Sanders in the southern states. Uh, they really just want somebody who can win. And um, if we can make the case that Bernie is more electable than Biden, or at least the same, I think people will default to those policy preferences. That's my hope anyway. Yeah, I think so. And this is like this is what Jordan and I were talking about in the intro to this show is that this is how consent was manufactured in this in this instance, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the media going on 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 cable news and, and people going on cable news and saying vote for Joe Biden, vote for Joe Biden. But it's this constant discussion of Bernie not electable, terrible for the down ballot races. And this is just endlessly dissected on on cable news all the time. Biden, he can win. He's going to be good for the Democratic Party. He's going to be good for all these things. He can beat Trump. And he can he's electable. He's like a, a traditional Democrat. You know what to, what he stands for. He appeals to people. He's electable. And these are the conversations that happen all the time on cable news. And people really internalize this logic. And I think there's many, many people that voted on Super Tuesday for Biden who probably would prefer the, the 
Bernie administration or like the the policies that he's fighting for, but they've just in, internalized this like logic, this like ironclad logic, uh, Bernie unelectable, Biden electable. Uh, when in fact, if you actually like pay attention, the opposite is true. But it's it's reaching these people because there's a huge cable news gap here, uh, because there's people that get their information from the internet who like Bernie, and then there's people who get their information from cable news, uh, whose brains are just as in similar pudding format as Biden. <laughs> And they want to vote for Biden. And that that's oh, the kind and, of difficulty right and, now is trying to reach those people. And they've been signaled to as well. Like the Clyburn endorsement, I think, had a big effect. Um, we're seeing community leaders in the Southern black church who have had influence over the older Southern black voters who vote largely in the Southern primaries. Um, I think what this really speaks to is the need for trusted and independent working class institutions. Because in the absence of that, in the absence of strong unions um, and other kinds of working class institutions, people are going to default to the institutions that they have left in order to signal to them what to do. And I think, too, um, this whole dynamic that we're talking about with, you know, it looks like at this point, like 30, 40 percent of de- Democratic primary voters lining up en masse to support uh, Joe Biden at once. It's and, and also these thought leaders out there on TV and elsewhere. I think that there's a dynamic, I guess you could call it party chauvinism would be one term for it, where the Democratic Party turns into a sort of imagined community on a tr- um, and there's like, millions and millions of people out there who, for everyone that says, well, you know, I like Bernie because he's not a Democrat, there's millions of people who want to vote for a Democrat. They feel a serious psychological and material affinity for the Democratic Party of Hillary Clinton. And I think maybe people underestimated, you know, how many PMC jerk-offs living in college towns are out there uh, who want to vote for, uh, I don't know, slowly cutting Social Security and keeping the uh, ACA. Well, in in a way, I don't blame the logic of saying uh, I want to vote for generic Democrat because generic Democrat does beat Trump in the polls. And so their concept of generic Democrat is like this action figure of a politician or something, just a guy in the, in the suit. Um, but Joe Biden is demi- is a, is that action figure just like left out in the backyard through the winter <laughs> and it's been snowing and the dog's been chewing on it. And uh, I don't think people understand how how bad uh, this this uh, generic Democrat has degraded. And that goes for the entire Democratic Party. No, and but it's we're also really talking obvious about- with Joe Biden. Yeah, and we're also talking about what's going to be a general election campaign where it's not like Biden's long record of trying to, to do of austerity and pro-war and, and locking up an entire generation of African-Americans uh, and other Americans in the, this brutal incarceration system. This is all going to come out. It doesn't matter that Trump's a hypocrite and that he doesn't really oppose these things either. That doesn't obviously matter to, to conservative voters. And the, so... There's going to be also no excitement. Like, I don't think anyone's. I don't think people are really underestimating the fact that, like, with Hillary Clinton, like, even though they're like, I don't really like Hillary Clinton's politics or like what the Clinton family stands for, or just the the how they're kind of emblematic of this very elite Democratic Party uh, dipshit who have have been on the wrong side of a lot of issues, but. There was like a real genuine excitement for, I think, a lot of people to see a woman president and people that it was a very like there was that historic feeling that I think that was motivating a lot of people. And with Biden, there's just nothing. There's nothing there. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt, Hillary's base of supporters was much more energetic and engaged than Biden's base is now. Most of the people who support Biden are just like, eh, fine. You know, things seemed slightly less terrible when Obama was president. So maybe we can try 
similar guy who's friends with him. Yeah, it's this weird mix between like kind of general apathy, name recognition, but also like we, we mentioned earlier, like this low information voter term that gets applied to people who aren't super engaged with the process and more likely than not are just kind of falling into the Biden camp based on his affiliation with Obama and name recognition, the types of things. And what has really bothered me over the past like week or so is people using that term, which has been a long accepted term to talk about voters who just generally don't follow the news that close. That's the actual term for it. they're using that now as like a racist cudgel oh, and saying yeah. that a, a, describing those voters that in the South uh, as low information voters, a term that we've all accepted for years is now racist to do so. And they're trying to use uh, Bernie's focus on Michigan, robust uh, black African-American, black and brown population uh, in, in Detroit and Flint. Um, him going there is somehow racist because he's not in Mississippi, a state that would never go blue in the general anyway. Um, it just it just bothers me to no end because they're just they'll just jump from thing to thing to drive this narrative. And I just saw Chiron on CNN a second ago talking about all oh, this new scandals. Bernie is canceling events in Mississippi and Missouri. Well, sure. Michigan has the most delegates on the 10th. It's just like this this bullshit uh, manufacturing consent and trying to distort these terms to drive people against Sanders and towards Biden. Yeah. And again, yeah, like the, like Bernie's huge coalition that he's assembling of Latinx voters who are always talked about like they're the future of the Democratic Party. <laughs> Uh, who are organizing en masse for Bernie and becoming really involved in this movement are just completely like, that's not, that doesn't count as far as like the, right. the diversity of Bernie's base or all of a sudden those it's, it's not racist to completely ignore what they want. Uh, but we really right. have to uh, make sure that, that, that we, we, you know, we, that we vote for grandpa Joe on this one. Also erasing uh, black voters under 40 who seem to be uh, yes. going towards Sanders at this point. It's mostly older conservatives. Yeah. I mean, okay, two things. Uh, first of all, being a low information voter doesn't mean that these that low information voters are stupid, right? Like we have a system that is set up in every way to disengage people from the political process. And they have a ton of actual data. They have evidence that politics don't really have an effect on their lives. So I don't think it's, uh, I don't think you have to be stupid at all to be a low information voter. I've got friends who are low information voters they're just busy with their lives and they it's, think politics are stupid because they it's, are it's <laughs> not denigrating these voters to claim that they have something more important to do than politics because i envy that mm -hmm. and if they want to spend their time fucking and vibing i say more power to them they should just yeah. vote the right way and, and also we have seen very demonstrably even the last few days that the political establishment there's no limits to the cravenness with which they will deploy identity politics as it suits them right like they're running a sexist purgationist <laughs> from the past who supported the Hyde amendment until like last year and probably still <laughs> does and they're going to try to deploy identity politics at the same time his surrogate just got on tv this fucking oh, yeah heron this fucking <laughs> white woman this becky like white splaining to nina turner oh, about God. um how she didn't have the standing to evoke the words of Martin Luther King Jr. Not a good look. The discourse said. around this. No, it's not a good look. But also, like, I'm annoyed by the discourse around her apology because it wasn't just that she spoke to her in the wrong way. It's that she was wrong and Nina Turner was right. And that fucking counts, too. Like, yeah. she, Nina Turner is literally 
professor of African-American history. Like she knows what she's talking about with reference to Martin Luther King. Yeah. And God Biden, is the, the exact, Biden <laughs> is the exact white moderate that MLK talked about yeah. in that uh, the letter where he mentioned the white moderates. So it's, well, the historical Biden, is kind of ridiculous. The historical Biden is the white moderate. The, the Biden in his brain who like flew to Africa to free yes. Nelson Mandela <laughs> and ended up in the jail cell next to him. Um, yeah. I mean, that's like an ML- MLK probably thought he was a hero. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, one, one last point on the on the low information voters and how they engage with politics. I've been thinking about for like a couple of weeks. So my buddy and I, well, several of us went to Nevada to canvas and, and uh, our last canvassing shift because they were run, literally running out of doors because the campaign had knocked so many doors was uh, north Las Vegas, right below the mountains and very, very low-income area and it was basically trailers or very small houses uh fenced surrounded by fences and most of them had pit bulls because that's typically you know people will use those for use pit bulls for you know low rent alarm systems and just we saw a general sense from most people a general sense of apathy and it was just like they kind of uh, seen over the years that nothing will ever really impact them no matter what and even like the best meaning democrat for the most part even sanders it might not have an impact uh, to their lives. It might not actually change anything about uh, their well-being or their day-to-day rituals. So why the hell should they even care? So getting them out to vote was pretty difficult, despite many of them being sympathetic to Sanders' message. There was just a general disconnect that we saw. It's like, oh, yeah, I like Bernie. He's a, he's a great guy. Yeah, he's got a good idea. He's got good ideas, but we're not going to go vote because, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Nothing's going to change. So I think bridging that gap is going to be a struggle for progressives and leftists and and whomever going forward because everyone's rightfully disillusioned with all of this yeah i i think that um that obama did everybody a great disservice for a lot of reasons but in terms of a campaigner because he ran on 2008 with the promise that he was mobilizing people not just to vote for him but also for a movement got people super excited for it and then when the election comes and he wins he just lets that go fallow right just yeah doesn't pick up on it at all and becomes a normal liberal technocrat. I think what Bernie's trying to do and what's truly different about his campaign is he understands what the class struggle is and he understands that you have to have a movement in order to push things through. But I don't think the average voter or any voter out there has a real sense of what the difference between a liberal technocratic vision of building something is and a left version, which is mobilizing people to self-organize and to basically fight for themselves alongside and other people. I think Sanders is trying that, but there's just been decades and decades of uh, false promises and the idea that politicians are there to do things for you, not that you join together with people to get things done. Well, and what you've just described, too, is exactly why the Elizabeth Warren campaign went nowhere, right? Because she tried to have that kind of elements of the left populism but without the movement and with the with the kind of technocratic side too, and she tried to unify these two wings, and I'm seeing a lot of like Warren supporters and campaign people that are still quite seem to be quite angry right now that no one really bought into this. But oh, they, it makes they, sense. They are off. They are off the leash now. Oh. They are just saying whatever the Chardonnay is flowing. It's fucking great. You thought the K hive was bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it's it's interesting because it's just like, you know, she she really thought that it was the the play was to kind of unify the two wings of this party, the technocrat wing and the progressive wing, 
without really taking into account the fact that these two wings are completely at, in contradiction with one another and have no interest in with unifying with one another. Certainly the elite corporate wing has no interest in unifying with the left in any way. And rightfully, the people on the left are want to supplant these people and get rid of them, not to join the fucking team and join the party. Um, so the idea that you could be everything to everyone and appeal to all these groups was never, that was never going to take off. And it didn't. Yeah, well, she pitched herself as a compromise candidate and i actually thought it was going to work a lot better than it actually did but i forgot just how craven and unmoving the centrist wing of the party really is like they had a fucking olive branch in elizabeth warren they could have taken it but they rejected it because i mean in it in addition to her just sucking as a candidate and like probably the centrists understand that just as well as the leftists do um like they're not going to move an inch if they don't have to right so they didn't yeah, and as we've talked about, too, she was leading in the polls and, and doing quite well for a while. And then the more she kind of tried to incorporate that consultant class uh, part of the the Democratic Party, bringing in all these Hillary staffers and, and people that went through the Kamala campaign and the other campaigns, the more her economic message, which was quite strong at the beginning, got watered down. She pivoted to this kind of bullshit, meaningless girl boss feminism uh and just appealed to no one it just meant nothing and like they they it's it's kind of frustrating to see her go on tv now and complain about fucking like bernie bros as if that's the reason that her election campaign and not the fact that it was just fundamentally flawed from the beginning it makes me so mad i think that um i was like vibrating with anger when the when i saw that maddow interview i mean to, to be fair Rachel Maddow kept trying to ask her about it, and yeah. she said a lot of nice things about Bernie before that. So, yeah, yeah. you know, fuck you, Rachel Maddow. But yeah, also, fuck you. Yeah. But also, like, fuck Elizabeth Warren for going along with it and being like, oh, poor me, when there's fucking kids in cages as we speak, literal concentration camps in our country, and people are dying because they don't have health care. I think that's a little more important. It's also utterly divorced from uh, people's everyday lives, right? I mean, I think that. I think it was an illusion to think that there was a middle lane, middle lane between Sanders and Biden, Buttigieg, like these centrist types, because I think that the theory of change is completely different. For all that Elizabeth Warren could talk about inequality and corruption or whatever, it was still a technocratic vision where the government puts the correct uh, regulations in, the correct policies, the correct tax structure, yada, 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 when the left has always been fundamentally about the struggle, about the class struggle. And you can't have a middle ground between the capitalist class is exploiting us and repressing us uh, and like uh, we need to ally with the capitalist class and get along with them and everybody can do well. There's no there's no way to unify those two positions. Yeah, I mean, I think it was very revealing when they asked her if billionaires should exist and she's like, yeah, it's fine. Like she doesn't understand the zero sum game nature of this economy or the fact that those riches are inherently based on exploiting the labor of other human beings. There was another moment that I that didn't get enough press, I thought. But uh, at the MSN, MS, the NBC News debate that I think was in uh, October or November, Maddow asked Warren point blank, do you think people should serve in the military? And Warren was like, yeah, of course. And it's just like that... Why, why? First of all, the framing is incredibly jingoistic and imperialistic. But also, like, why are we not talking about like what you're... De- like, diplomacy strategy how would you approach like rebuilding the state department things like that it's just do more people need to serve in the military and without like a second warns like yes and it's that coupled with the things you just laid out really really alarmed me that she wouldn't be any different than like obama no like i I, it's it's deeply 
concerning. And I guess we kind of dodged a bullet there, but like people framing her as exactly the same as Sanders was entirely disingenuous. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. but she's going to make the military green. It's going to be. Yeah, exactly. Great. <laughs> <laughs> More women drone operators. Yes, thank you. <laughs> And well, and that was another thing with Bernie too. Is that yeah? As, as Jordan just mentioned, it's people kind of try to claim that they're exactly the same, and 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 people just vote for Bernie because they want a white bro or whatever in office or whatever people say. Um, but that was an area where, <laughs> that that's not true on its face in in, in economic issues uh, in the first place. But in terms of foreign policy, and I don't want to give Bernie too much credit here because he has he has been not great on this, but he is he would be like the most like anti imperialist president like in modern american history basically um uh, that's that's an area that i would like him to be a lot better in but just it's it's a very low bar uh but he does have a vision for a a different kind of foreign policy that no one else has articulated yeah yeah, that that alone i think is worth going all in for sanders i just last month i went to a uh communist party run uh language school in guatemala (laughs) uh, like ex-stalinists and uh, they're basically they're all in for I mean, they're not like supporting the Sanders campaign. <laughs> but when they talk about the on the D-low, maybe the uh, what's going on in the United States, they're like, of course, we support Sanders. He's the he's the only one who's really going to make going to like loosen the boot a little bit of imperialism on our country. So that alone is a really good reason to support Sanders. Yeah. And people who want to pretend like they're the same policy wise either just don't know about uh, the differences of foreign policy or they just don't care at all what happens in the rest of the world, which is bad. You should care. People in other countries don't get to vote in our elections. So maybe think about them. Or the fact that not even that they don't care, but they they do, in fact, think it is America's role to police the world and to do all these things. They just need to have someone nice at the helm of it. uh, So they're not doing being too cruel and too too brutal when they and they invade these places but they do it in the smart uh, progressive and technocratic way like obama was doing like people really do believe right. that i think fundamentally when you especially if you look at the foreign policy dynamic um you are seeing um kind of the beginning of the end of american empire and i'm talking like historically and structurally it doesn't seem like we're going to be able to keep devoting, you know, five, six, seven percent of our GDP to the military moving forward in this period of crisis. Seems like the reason behind all of our military bases everywhere and all of our hard and soft power around the globe right now is kind of dissipating. Uh, it's not doing us very well right now. So Sanders' small pushback on the American imperial project, I think, does show in a broader sense that like people are starting to see the limits of America power and it really depends on whether you want it to collapse if we do nothing and continue on with like a Warren or a Biden or whatever or whether you're going to vote for Bernie and have it be a softer landing you know because we need to cut down on it regardless it's it, it's, yeah. it's insane well just wait till President Tom Cotton's in there and you've got the mandatory military oh, service for citizenship uh, shit going on <sighs> scary I mean, scary scary I really am worried that uh, oh, yeah. it if uh, if we have another uh, centrist liberal as president, if Biden somehow defeats Trump or whatever, uh, what the kind of politics that will come after will be it, it'll be fascism time like Trump is too much of a normal ass Republican to actually be a fascist. He's also just really fucking lazy and bored. <laughs> but like we've seen hints of it in like Tucker Carlson and everyone looks at me like I'm crazy when I suggest that, you know, maybe the far right in America and the Republican Party is influenced by it, it show is showing some signs of trans 
transforming into more of like a traditionally European far right country where a far right political party where there are, you know, certain concessions to social democratic economic policies, you know, it's still with labor being subservient to capital. Um, but it's, it's going to be socially conservative and it's going to turn us into this kind of white ethno state autarky as we slide further into eco-fascism. Yeah, like I, think, I could see that happening. Yeah, well, the thing that, that I think everyone should be very, very uh, leery of and terrified by is like what, exactly what you're talking about. This this guy, uh, U.S. Senator Josh Hawley, who this is from mm. the AP uh, a couple days ago, um, has introduced a bill that aims to increase federal oversight on local landlords. Um, his bill would require the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development to create a nationwide database to track contract terminations with landlords due to violations of departments' housing assistance, payments, contracts, this kind of shit. I mean, when the Republican Party figures out this formula before the Democratic Party does, that's going to be a big, big problem. And if you, like you mentioned Tucker Carlson, this is the shit he's talking about every single night. He's got he, he's hugely influential, got a huge audience. Uh, that's a very, very dangerous combination. This kind of economic populism plus uh, nativism, racism. I feel like we might have seen that a couple times historically. Uh, never really ended that well. So hopefully that's uh, hopefully that's something no. we can avoid in America. And if the only opposition party is just doing neoliberal diversity capitalism, yeah. like we, it's over. Don't stand a chance. <laughs> yeah. Which is something that he brings up on his show. So I, I had to watch his show every night for a long time, and <laughs> incredibly. But it's something that he is building that has been building the case against for years. Um, so he's already they and he are already preparing the case against exactly that. He calls them like the woke billionaires and like woke capitalism. So he's already like sowing the seeds of discord to try to dismantle that. And like clueless, like kind of like both sides libs are like, huh, maybe he is the intellectual on the right. <laughs> and now we see like the Hill trying to replicate his uh, approach yeah. with like a populist left and a populist right show um it's it's deeply alarming that people are just kind of like turning a blind eye to the blatant racism inherent in that ideology and, and just welcoming it as some countercurrent because it's you know within that there's like a progress or there's a, a populist sentiment that appeals to some people's sensibilities but overall like it's it's deeply rooted in racism it's a horrifying vision of the future it's uh um, oh, yes. as you know there there's uh, of course, this very small spectrum, you can call it the Overton window or whatever, of acceptable opinion uh, in American politics. And it seems like on both the left and the right of the acceptable, things are starting to bleed a little bit, those lines. And what's coming in on the left is uh, Sanders' left populism. And I think, yeah, what's coming in on the right is, I think, what they call national conservatism. This movement that Tucker Carlson is basically the spearhead right now that uh, shuns away uh, the neoliberal consensus, but doubles down on a lot of the, you know, makes the subtly racist policies uh, overtly racist and call them liberty, you know? Yeah. And we're seeing with the Trump administration that many, many Americans are just going to be completely on board with that, with that mask just completely coming off. Turns out a yeah. lot of Americans are just totally OK with that and actually, in fact, think yeah. it's good. <laughs> And what's Yikes. dangerous about him is he does it with a smile, like people who vehemently disagree with him will always defend him and his right to say that because like oh he's nice to me he's a really personable guy uh you know he's just kind of chummy agreeable people in dc seem to like him even liberal writers like to get lunch with him and things like that uh so he's kind of making inroads through with just just being a fucking gladhander and, and it, it's it's he reminds me of that like uh 
I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, The Purge, but the first one, oh, yeah. was when the, the, the group of kids or young adults come to the door uh, and it's got that blonde guy with a bow tie. That's just like who I think of when I think of Tucker yeah. Carlson. It's someone who is, you know, dressed nice. He's got a blue blazer, bow tie, looks sharp, you know, comes from disgusting amounts of wealth. But at the end of the day, just wants like black and brown people to suffer and get out of his country because they're making it dirty. It's, it's deeply alarming. Well, I think I think bigger uh, a bigger narrative than that, or, or maybe just an alternative narrative, is that internationally, the, there's little doubt that capitalism has to restructure in some way um, before they head into like a, a really severe crisis that everybody kind of agrees is coming pretty soon. Um, or you know, even with if you just take the factor of climate change alone, there has to be like some kind of uh, restructuring of capitalism for it to find stability. And so the capitalist class is trying to figure out. Um, can we still have stability with this international uh, uh, liberal nation state democratic model, or do we have to go towards something uh, more uh, strongman esque, more national populist, more dictatorial? Uh, and you know, Trump and Erdogan and Putin uh, and Xi Jinping offer uh, offer a very good reason for doing that because you can have a lot of stability through authoritarianism and continue to have the same. Uh, economic stability of neoliberalism without all the the chaos of, uh, you know, giving a shit about refugees uh, and ethnic minorities, for instance. Um, but then the only alternative to that is is the neoliberal model, and that's just understandably losing any validity. Uh, and so attempts like Varoufakis and, and Sanders to create a, um, a, a, like a more socialistic international alternative are unfortunately just falling flat on their face, because I, I don't think... They have the ability to compete in that sort of arena. It has to be, there has to be something like really from the workers and from the grassroots up to to to, to upturn that 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 order of like who really makes the decisions. Yeah. Oh, well, I would push back a little bit on that just by saying that if we do end up getting Bernie Sanders elected, it will be because of a bottom up grassroots movement. That you know, it's not me us, right? Like he's personifying these policies right now but it's never been about him and you know when we're done with him we could throw him in the garbage <laughs> I, I don't disagree i'm just i'm i guess i'm uh i'm i shouldn't be doing this but i'm uh, expressing some skepticism that he will be elected uh well it might fair. be that time <laughs> that's totally fair <laughs> yeah i think that's kind of understandable uh but it's, it's interesting you know i don't want to get too conspiratorial with this stuff but Sometimes, based on what you what you folks are saying, I don't know. I can't help but feel sometimes these late stage liberal democracies can quite easily transition into fascist authoritarianism. I just can't <laughs> shake this feeling. It's weird. I don't I don't know if there's anything to that. They call but... that uh, they call that the Weimar sentiment. That's what <laughs> yes, really, right now. That's yes. that's the translation from the German. Yeah, outlined beautifully uh, in uh, Star I... Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> as we saw. Uh, okay. The, okay, fascism yeah. with Star Wars characteristics. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, we don't have too much long here. Uh, we're gonna have to get going soon. But the the final thing I think I wanted to get your take on, because I think you're all uniquely suited to weigh in on this, is uh, you know we've <laughs> talked about this kind of this this broad left wing movement that's that's coalesced around Bernie Sanders. Uh, it's kind of the first time in in many decades in America that such a movement exists and is kind of on the possibly on the verge of achieving some kind of electoral uh, legitimacy. Um, but I'd like to talk about what happens if Sanders does not win, or even if he does. Like, what is the next step for this movement? Because obviously, it's not going to be Bernie's going to get elected, and then we're all going to go home, and everything's going to be be fine, and everything's going to be great. What is the next step? 
and particularly in a in a Biden administration. No, no I'm not even going to say that because Biden is not going to get elected. He's not going to be Trump. Um, <laughs> but let's say in the case of a second Trump turn term, um, where does this mov- movement go? What what do people's priorities have to be, and uh, what are we going to have to do to build? power in the United States from the bottom up to kind of combat these seemingly insurmountable forces that are that are keeping keeping the status quo more or less the way it is. Uh, I'll oh, start the million um, dollar question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the um, I think you have to look at uh, the historical context. So at least since the 1970s, so the last 50 years or so, uh, workers organizations and workers power within the capitalist economy have just been completely flattened and destroyed. We are coming back um, from not just a recession, but also a, um, how shall I say, we're at the point right now where we need to revive a tradition that hasn't been around in ages. And I think that, again, this, this vision of change where uh, working class people fight together for universalistic things in order to gain power themselves, not only in their lives, but you know potentially over the state, I think that Sanders, the, Sanders has begun that process of the movement thinking about what it looks like for the working class to push back against the capitalist class. And I think it's very, very early in that process. So what you need to see happen, uh, at least as a beginning step, is what Sanders is calling for everybody to do, which is to start to organize in the workplaces and on the streets, uh, because ultimately that's the only way you'll even get mild social democracy, let alone communism, is if there are millions and millions of people ready to throw the fuck down for it. And uh, that just has to happen. Otherwise, all these darker timelines are almost inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally agree with that. Um, it's the only way that we've ever gotten anything. It wasn't just a result of, oh, some people volunteered for this election and we elected the right person and that person had good plans. No, that's not how it works. That's a totally a historical point of view. And I'm really sick of hearing it from liberals. Um, I think, like I said before, we have a real need for independent working class institutions. And that has previously taken the form of labor unions, first and foremost. Um, But those unions really need to be strong and democratic because when those unions are weak and undemocratic, they start making uh, they start making deals. They start making bargains like we're not going to endorse Bernie Sanders uh, because like the culinary union, they're like, oh, it's a right to work state. And we need people to be coerced into joining the union because they won't have health care. Otherwise, things like that. So we need strong unions that are democratic and you know, as unemployment goes up and automation robots take people's jobs, I know that's a controversial uh, topic uh, on the left and everyone probably has different ideas about it, but we need different kinds of formations that don't necessarily rely on everybody being employed, right? We need tenants unions, transit riders unions, um, the unions of welfare recipients, like the Welfare Rights Organization was a really inspiring movement from the 60s and 70s that advocated for the needs of uh, mostly single moms. Um, We need local level organizing. People need to get out in their communities and be doing mutual aid and stuff. Um, A lot of DSA chapters do break light clinics, things like that, just to get involved and to get dialogues going with people that might not be talking to each other otherwise. Um, We need to do all those things. Unrest is best. Uh, and I guess I'll just quickly add to that that we, we mentioned uh, a, a conception of a, a cycle of struggles before, um, and I think you know as we do these um, uh, you know these electoral things or these mutual aid things or 
you know, going to DSA meetings or what have you and sort of the lulls between these uh, these kind of more direct struggles or like street uh, level struggles. Um, we should be awaiting for the next uh, struggle to to happen, um, you know, for like and th there always are happening to some degree. Like there's these uh, these strikes that are spreading uh, in the UC system. There are these pipeline blockades in Canada and throughout the United States. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I, it's it's obvious to all of us when they arise. And I think we should all be ready to to go there and support them. Um, and as we support them, we can share our politics. We can learn other people's politics. We can learn tactics. Uh, and that's, you know, really going to be a major effort of, of seeing how things can really change. Jordan, Are you saying else? we need to intervene and in movements and push them to their radical limit, Andy? Sure, but not not only intervene, you know, uh, support them. But intervention is, is one way to, to approach it. Yeah, for sure. Jordan, you have anything else? I mean, I, yeah, I can't really top all of that. But I, I just think that at the core that people really need to understand is that it's not just going to the problems aren't going to solve themselves by electing Sanders. It's not going to go away and it's going to take a lot of work. And he's just I think, as he said, he's going to see himself as the barnstormer in chief. He would campaign around the country to get that critical mass and get the political will for new proposals. So it's like it's really on us to continue putting in the work. It doesn't end on Election Day. It doesn't end on Inauguration Day. That's just like day one. So people understanding that and applying that to their lives is essential, but it's, I think Americans are just inherently selfish and, you know, a, a lot of people are overworked uh, and I don't want to just, I don't want to dismiss people's actual struggles. And I think a lot of people just don't have the time or capacity or the resources to do a lot of work. So it's on people who do have that capacity and do have that space in their lives. But it's also just like the little bit here and there can go a long way. Um, and you add that a lot, we could really make a change yeah i guess the kind of like yeah. the, oh, yeah. the exciting thing about this moment in american history i think is just the possibility of electing someone like sanders who's going to nurture the and grow these social movements because that's where the change is going to have to come from I, I think everyone has to be clear on that but because the the scary thing is if you had descend further into kind of like right-wing authoritarianism and you have a president that's not only not going to nurture these movements but is going to uh violently subdue them that's you know that's going to possibly be a problem maybe in the 2020s so the idea of having a president that's in there that's actually going to not only listen to these people but actively encourage them and nurture these movements that's the really exciting thing about this moment oh yeah it would be very helpful if bernie wins uh i i gotta say it will also be kind of surprising if he can win without have without us having built up these strong organic working class institutions first I think people might be a little optimistic that we can skip some steps yeah. just by tinkering with the election itself. We've often said that's like the tail wagging the dog. That yeah. said, I'm going to do everything in my power to pitch in and help out. I was just making calls the other day. I went to New Hampshire and knocked on some doors. And, you know, if we could pull it off, it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, I guess the problem is when it comes to like climate and everything like that, we're kind of like... The shot clock is winding down, to use a sports right. term, and uh, there's no longer – we don't really have decades to kind of to build these big uh, movements. We kind of – it kind of has to be this Hail Mary play that isn't perfect and doesn't follow the exact rules uh, just because of the, the timing of it is getting to the point that it's just like – it's kind of – it's getting to be now or never that we need to start making – seeing real genuine movement on this. Listen, I don't think – looking at what's happening now – 
you know, this this massive sort of this energy pouring out from people all over the country. I don't think you can simply put it back in the box. I think regardless of what happens with this election, there are going to be there's going to be a militant minority of people who are you know, hyped up to continue this. And if the time is short, that means, you know, there's some motivation for people. And uh, if it all fails and we get President Tom Cotton, then we can do what most people do and just start fucking and vibing all the time, you know? <laughs> Fuck politics or just just go out just fucking. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, crap. Uh, okay, well, um, I guess that's a great way to uh, – that's a great way to leave it, fucking and vibing, right? Um, so <laughs> – uh, I would like to thank you guys very much for coming on the program, uh, Sean and Andy and Jamie. Uh, it was a pleasure to speak with you about all this stuff. Uh, before we sign off here, do you want to just let everyone know where they can find your uh, your uh, your podcast and all the stuff you're doing? Jamie does the best plugs. Go ahead. Okay, let's hear. Ah, thank you. <laughs> this week on the Antifada. No, uh, <laughs> you can all find it at Patreon.com/slash/TheAntifada. Uh, you could sign up there to be a patron and get all of our excellent bonus content as well as access to our cool Discord community and prizes, TBA. We're going to set a new goal soon. We got some new merch. We've got a little bit of old merch. If you're small and you can fit into a small shirt, we will send you one. <laughs> um, but also, if you don't want to give us your money, that's fine, too, I guess. Um, and you can listen to the Antifada for, yeah, um, but you know, your listening is good too. I also I have a very, very uh, sensitive ego, so compliments are like almost as good to me as money. <laughs> um, so you can get all of our free episodes, of which we do one a week, uh, wherever wherever you can get podcasts. So like, open up your podcast app, type in the Antifada, and there it is. Uh, and you yeah. can find us on Twitter. I'm at Talented Voter. No, at yeah, as a worker. That. Yeah. Yeah, I did. It's kind of a joke. As underscore a underscore worker. I think it's funny. As a worker. It is funny. And uh, as for me, I'm at SpaceProl on Twitter. And uh, maybe you can have me on your podcast again uh, next month when my book comes out. I want to believe it's the story of Posadism on Pluto Press out 420. Hey, nice. I like it. Nice. Well, thanks so much, gang. It was, it was wonderful to talk to you. This was a really great conversation. And we'll uh, we'll catch you later. Yeah, thank you for amplifying ultra left voices. <laughs> My pleasure. Representation thanks, matters. Yeah. It's, been, it's an honor and a privilege. Hell yeah. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban. So please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye. Goodbye.